Hey guys, welcome to You Chat Too Much podcast. This is a podcast where two international teachers, Joe and Madge, discuss various topics with the help of interesting and amazing guests each week. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to You Chat Too Much. This is episode three, and today we're talking to a new guest, not a returning guest, but a new guest um, in Charlie, and we're talking everything about uh, mental health as much as we can cap, um, as much as we can cover in our in our short time, um, and everything to just do with mental health and and specifically to do with men. Um, Madge, how are you today? Yeah, I'm all good, mate. Um, I just kind of wanted to come up. Do you know how many episodes we've done, Joe, in total? Uh, we've done three seasons. They're well done, but that's not how many episodes. <laughs> you can't you can't count more past than three. I think we did 10 in the first. Did we do eight in the second? That's 18, and we're on our third now. So 21. This is our 21st episode. All right. So we're on episode 22. Why is that so significant? Can you remember? No, I can't remember. I sent you something on Instagram a while when we first, I think when we did our first episode and there was a stat that said 90% of podcasts don't get past three episodes. And if you yeah. get past 21 episodes, you're in the top 1% of the world. Do you remember that? Mm. Look at that. Top re- 1% in the world. I, I remember sending you that. You were like, yeah, we're definitely going to do 21 episodes. That was when we like did our first <laughs> one or two episodes. Because I was just thinking it was going to be one season, one one season wonder. So congratulations, mate. Yeah. Well done. At least you're oh, in top so 1% much. for Congratulations something. to you, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been in the top 1% for anything yeah. anything in my life. Well, what a, what an achievement. Well done, Madge, as well, for uh, um, coming along on this journey up. with me. Putting up with you <laughs> for that many episodes. All right, let's introduce, uh, let's introduce our guest then. So uh, I want to introduce Charlie, um, first episode with us. Um, I, won't, I won't completely say what he just told us just as we were about to start, but he didn't even realize we did a podcast. Um, <laughs> he's going to go back and, and start listening to all the episodes now. But anyway, Charlie, how are you? How's it all going? I'm, I'm not too bad, yeah. It's been, a, it's been a good week. I'm not doing too badly. Um, yeah, yes. I think your your PR team needs to to, to sack. Why? <laughs> why I don't know about your podcast. Um, <laughs> I did think when you know I'm a I'm a history and politics guy, and so when you say I've never been in a one percent of anything in my life, my instant thought is you're a Western European um, yeah. professional. You're definitely in the one percent of earners in the world. Absolutely, oh, yeah. easily in the one percent of earners in the world. He's probably one percent spender so as well. Definitely, you'll <laughs> be up there. We we got we got to check our privilege, as it were. You know, we are massively privileged. But yeah, I don't want to rant on about that. I love that. No, no, I love that. I do. Uh, well, it is good to achieve two things maybe in one episode, but maybe not as much the second one. But yeah, I like it. All right, Charlie, we're going to start off. So basically, in season three, just to emphasise the fact we're in season three now, Charlie. Um, we start off the episode with uh, some icebreaker questions, just some random questions, and then we get stuck into the topic. 
So the first question for you, Charlie, is if you had a superpower, what would it be? Um, it'd be a boring one. I'm, 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 I have to say I'm not into super superheroes and all that stuff. Like my okay. missus has been trying to get me into Marvel. Just don't yeah. get it. Uh, but um, yeah, I love invisibility just because I'm proper nosy and the invisibility is really arch nosiness element. So yeah, that would probably be my superpower. Yeah. 100%. Are you a natural people watcher, Charlie? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I yeah. am big time. Yeah. Um, I would say I'd like to, to cage it in the terms of like, uh, um, you know, I've, you know, thinking about the nature of mankind and all these deep thoughts. It's not really it's pure nosiness. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> one of the people at all times, like I really enjoy it. I, I know, you know, it's come across in our, in our chat, Joe, like people will just be honest with you and tell you what they're thinking. Like, it's interesting, you know, different cultural approaches. So us Europeans, we don't really yeah. like to say thinking about stuff. And uh, one of the things I like when I, you know, when you talk with like, Chinese folk, both Chinese folk in China and Chinese folk here, much more straight talking. Just tell you what you think. Yeah. Love it. Love it. I also yeah. uh, love the element of, of conflict that comes with it. So, yeah. Yeah, good. All right. Second question for you. Madge, you want this one? Yeah. What's your favorite breakfast food? Yeah, that was. Uh, I, I did see that question. I thought that was a very exciting question. I, I was glad to to receive it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it will be as an exciting uh, response. Uh, porridge. Porridge. Now, do you have it with water or milk? Oh, oh that's. Isn't you know, it's not gruel. We're not in a, a Victorian um, workhouse. Yeah, it's got to be milk, but semi-skimmed. Can't be dealing Same with soon. that full. Do you, do you have anything with it? Any sugar? Any peanut butter? Any chocolate? Dollar, dollop of jam. It's got to be a dollop of jam. Good quality jam. Just a small right. dollop. Not Turn into rice pudding, that is. That's rice pudding <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> Turn into dessert, isn't it? Yeah. All right. And then uh, final question for me is, which celebrity um, would you like to meet and why? Yeah, it's got to be Stevie G got to be stevie g, stevie g. Just to, uh, to have a, a good old chin wag about uh champions league final 2005 that, yeah. that, i mean i'd love to sit down and talk with him about champions league 2005 that was like one of the seminal moments of my life uh, I, I think it was quite important in his but in my yeah. life it was definitely <laughs> <laughs> quite quite important in his and i will say that charlie's sitting here on screen with his liverpool uh yeah. training yeah. shirt on as well We've been told it's 15 years, this T-shirt. <laughs> I feel like that's also like a proper fan when they wear, when you don't wear just the normal football kit, you wear like the training kit and the, the other yeah, T-shirts you get in the pro shop. Absolutely, yeah. That's what it's all about. You got you, Shirt wearing is just for, uh, for show. You've got to wear the, yeah, the T-shirt. All right, so I think this one's going to be a good one because I know Charlie's going to be happy to speak on this. And, and I think the point you make, Charlie, about um, being upfront and honest, I think that's a big part of what we're going to talk about today related to, to mental health. Um, I'm going to start off today just kind of talking a little bit about our initial question, which is why do men struggle to speak about mental health? And obviously me and Madge, you know, in season three, we wanted to try to start with like a question. And by no means is, you know, do just men struggle to speak about mental health but that's kind of the approach that we want to look at today in the focus group so 
Madge, do you want to start us off? I mean, what what's your initial thoughts to this question and, and where you think today's episode is going to go? Um, like, I, to be honest, I, I feel a little bit uncomfortable about this topic because I can't really emp- uh, not, not relate to it, if that's the right yeah. word. Um, and we could talk about that later, but I think why do men struggle about mental health is um, probably cu- cultural norms. I think it's difficult for men to talk and then they get put into that box. Um, I think men are getting better at talking about it, um, especially like the the friends that I have around me. I think people are quite comfortable. If I think and I think it is if you ask the right questions and are willing to listen, I think that conversation can happen. But um, mm. yeah, but then I have friends on the other hand who would avoid it at all costs. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's uh, I think that's going to come up a lot today in terms of just that openness and and the willingness to listen as well. And I think as well, we're going to see a lot of like crossover links to what we were talking about with social media and then like money because we spoke to Glenn about like expectations and things like that. And I know that's something that, that will come up today. To start off with some uh, some stats, and I was interested like looking up stats and obviously stats come with a, an air of, uh, you know, you can always create a stat for something. Um, and I think the difficulty with mental health is it's really hard to kind of quantify it you know it's not like you kind of uh can easily spot it and easily see it um but they talk about 13% of the world so 13% um have potentially um uh, suffered from mental health disorders um over 40 million americans suffer from anxiety um and then i think something which is very relatable and topical to us um as teachers um is over 13%, nearly 14% of the youth, so 12 to 17-year-olds, report suffering from at least one major depressive episode. Um, anything related to um, being low, depressed, um, lack of interest in doing any type of activities. So, I mean, Charlie, I'm going to go back to you about the question as well Is what what are your initial thoughts on this question? You know, when we posed this question to you about coming on the episode, what what were your initial uh, initial thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I think when I when I first think about that question of why we as men struggle to talk about it, I think it's often the case that we struggle to. Uh, it's not so much that people don't want to talk about it, but they just don't know how the entry point of that conversation goes. Um, so we kind of work ourselves into patterns of conversation, don't we? And those, you know, roll around like work and sport and these kind of things. And mm. I, I know when I had my first kind of, um, I, I called them my wobbles. When I had my first wobble, uh, yeah. which I was probably in my 20s when I had my first big wobble. And then I remember talking to my football team about it. And all the guys were like completely comfortable to talk about it. None of us had ever spoken about anything to do with mental health before. And I, yeah. I realized it really just to do with having an access point to a conversation. And actually people were much more comfortable to talk about it. And some of them had had uh, periods in their own lives of difficult mental health and they hadn't really talked about it. Um, and I think that, you know, there, there may be a, a generational thing as well. You know, I'm in my 40s now. And uh, I think when when I grew up, we didn't talk about mental health, only mental illness. So it was either you're fine or you're completely ill. And there was no notion of the kind of in-between elements. 
Um, and I think as a society, uh, we've definitely got better at talking about the in-between elements, that you can be somewhere between fine and ill. You can be mentally under the weather or, or you know, equivalent. Um, and yeah. I think that's a real leap forward for us. And I think to, to talk about mental health as opposed to mental illness, I think has been a big change. Yeah, I, th- I think um, I think for me as well. Like, I think you you've hit a few things there. Um, the the kind of mental health conversation is definitely getting bigger. I think as as teachers, we are talking about it a lot more in school. I think where we still kind of struggle sometimes is also to to bring in about teachers as well and kids and then parents and kind of bring in not even just as specific to the students, but kind of bring in that um, full circle. And I think this, this idea of like mental health compared to mental illness is interesting as well because, you know, we teach, you know, as PE teachers, me and Madge, we teach about like the kind of health triangle, physical, social and, and mental well-being. And mental well-being, one of, the, one of the clear things that, you know, one of the first points on the exam is like, um, if you have good mental health, that means you're able to control your emotions which is such like a, a massive broad term and it comes down to like even things like you know having any form of anxiety to events or things happening or going outside or meeting up with friends that is that like initial small scale uh, idea of like you know mental health and it's stuff that everybody goes on with and, and like I said when you had that conversation with your football team you realize that everyone else has probably had those similar episodes or wobbles which i love the term for at some point Matt, yeah i just wonder if you know those those stats that you reeled off earlier i hmm. thought the numbers would be higher than that i'm actually quite surprised at that low um and then what what charlie just said about the in between i wonder if the stats that are put there like the 13 14 percent um if that's diagnosed mental health you know, like that's mm. that's that's been diagnosed by someone because it's it's now common to know a lot of people who are dealing with mental health. But like like what Charlie defined it, like the the middle that is mental health, but it's not diagnosed. Is that still mental health? So then that's why I think those. I I was surprised when I heard about those numbers. I thought it'd be a lot higher mm. than that. So I wonder if if it is uh, on on that definition. Yeah, I think I would agree. I mean, when I saw those numbers, I thought, well, you know, I know even from like a a friendship group, it's way more than that or anything more. And in school, it's way more. But I think the difficulty is, is that um, you're trying to, you're trying to diagnose something, which for some people, um, you know, it only gets diagnosed if you go and seek medical help. Um, But you can quite easily live your whole life with uh, you know, mental health issues or concerns without kind of like ever diagnosing it or going to the hospital or even going and speaking to a professional. But that might be like a kind of constant battle that you work through or that you have worked through. Um, you know, and I, I think that's something that, again, we're, we're talking more about late, um, today. I mean, for you, Charlie, a question for you is like, you know, when you talked about the first time you kind of felt like you had like a wobble at 20. What, what was that? If you don't mind me asking, what was that like thing where you kind of had that wobble? What was the main crux of that? 
Yeah, so for me, in terms of um, as an experience, so I guess you can, you, at, the, at the time that it initially happens, you only know it as an experience. And then later on, you kind of process it and make sense of it. So that first um, uh, wobble that really knocked me for sick because I didn't know, I didn't understand what was happening. So mm. for me, what happened is I, I was in the middle of, uh, of an Easter holiday um, and that will become salient when I, we talk maybe later on about triggers. Um, so it was the middle of an Easter holiday and I, uh, I remember one evening just being overcome with a sense, like completely overwhelming sense of anxiety and not understanding at all where that would come from. And at the time, not grasping, is this physical? Is this emotional? Is this what's caused it? You know, retrospectively, I understand what was taking place. But at the time, uh, I remember I, I called uh, the Samaritans because I was like okay. genuinely in mental distress. Like I, I didn't know what to do. Like I, I didn't know who to call, what to do, what to say. Um, I had no sense of that is what it feels like to have an episode um, and no sense of where it come from. Like it, it seemed at the time to have come out of the blue um, that I was fine. And then suddenly I was like having this period where I felt this intense anxiety, this intense feeling of wanting to run away and I was run away too. Um, and retrospectively, I think I understood it or understand what was actually taking place. Um, and that there were a series of triggers going on. Um, but at the time, I didn't know where it was, and it could be absolutely six. And at the time, uh, you kind of get this kind of secondary element of thinking that you're going mad. Well, I, sorry, you, you know, it's, everyone experiences things differently. For me, I had this experience of thinking I was going mad, like genuinely thinking I was going mad. Uh, because to bring it back to what we were talking about before, I only understood it in terms of you were fine or you're mentally ill. Um, and therefore, if I wasn't fine, then I was mentally ill um, because I only understood it in that kind of uh, binary notion. And so therefore, mm. I saw it as I'm mentally ill, I'm going mad, it's like the worst thing in the world, and I'm going to end up institutionalized. Like that is what yeah, I was thinking yeah. at the time. Um, so yeah, it was, it was super scary. And I think for anyone who, uh, you know, who's listened to the podcast who hasn't had an episode, which, yeah. you know, that's great. But the first one is by far the scariest because you don't understand it and you think it's, you catastrophize it to something yeah. bigger than it is going to be. Um, or, again, yeah, I did. And I know other people who have to talked to about it have had similar experiences where they've been like, wow, that really caught me on the hop. Didn't understand what was coming from. And I really thought I was I, going mad or I had this serious physical problem as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I looked into more and more just for, you know, for my own thing and also for the, for making sure I was saying the right things as well. And depression as a whole um, is a mood disorder that causes a persistent feeling of sadness and loss, um, loss of interest and can interfere with your daily function. And I think my first experience of that was was through a friend that like i i realized they weren't they weren't coming to work and it was a it was like an ongoing thing which i didn't understand anything about at the time and it was only then when i was able to speak with them i i actually ended up um a few years after like moving in with them and um 
while I was still working in in Norfolk and and for me I I just had to realize about the levels of like anxiety um levels of depression that you can that can happen from a trigger and and that was a trigger from a bereavement uh, like really awful situation and you talk there Charlie about like triggers and triggers for um everybody is completely different um but the the bit that I was really interested in was about that idea of like your daily function and you just struggle to do daily things. And and that's also what they talk about with young people having these um, MDEs, these major depressive episodes of just like unable to do absolutely anything, low interest, can't be bothered to leave the house. And then as soon as you start thinking about that, you then realize how much of that probably went on during the last pandemic or during the pandemic which we're still kind of in and many people are still in of the fact that people were going through these mdes without really knowing anything and maybe have never ever thought about mental health before and was kind of still really concerned about it and they a lot of people i'm sure and still to this day probably have struggled to then get help uh in those situations because they haven't been able to, um, which I thought was, which I thought was really interesting, but also very scary, considering the the numbers and and things like that. One thing, one thing that I wanted to draw attention to was that that point that you made, and I I put this in our notes as well about this vicious cycle. Talk talk to me about like the the vicious cycle because I I've I've definitely had that before, and I, I'll talk about my kind of experience in terms of that kind of vicious cycle. But what what does that vicious cycle mean to you, Charlie, when it, it comes to those type of situations? Yeah, and so um, I, I guess for me, there's, there's a couple of elements to, to my vicious cycle. And when I'm managing now my improved mental health, I'm, mm. I'm conscious to not allow it to happen, So or to try not to let it happen. So for me, uh, there's a couple of elements. One is that uh, when I'm going through a period of, or mental health, I'll retreat away from people and things. But mm. I know that retreating away from people and things makes me feel worse. Um, and so there's a there's a kind of vicious cycle there of retreat, don't do stuff. But I know that actually I always feel better when I am doing stuff, when I'm active, when I'm engaged, when I'm seeing people. But obviously, so there's a that's that's one aspect. And another aspect is the, the fear of the fear. Um, so. For me, again, what, what happens is I get anxious and then the secondary anxiety about the anxiety. And I think that's probably one of the things that I've got much better at understanding is that I now I still have anxiety, absolutely. But I probably am less fearful of the anxiety because mm. I now know that it won't be forever. You know, at the point that it's happening, it's horrible and intense. And like, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But I think now, having gone through several episodes and relatively better than I was, um, mm-hmm. I think I can understand, well, it's not going to last forever. But, mm-hmm. you know, in that first episode, you know, that's my life, that's me, I'm done. Um, and then you kind of understand, okay, it won't last forever. And then mm-hmm. the fear of fear diminishes. But I think that can be a big uh, vicious cycle, that fear of fear yeah. for me anyway. Yeah, and I, and I really appreciate you saying about how you're um, 
how you're managing your mental health because I think that's also a, a massive misconception with anything to do with mental health and it even happened with that the friend of mine who who I was working with was as soon as he came back to work um the impression was oh you you feeling better good all right let's let's go again like you know it it was like it, it was you're healed um mm. and that's obviously not not anything of a that isn't the case for anything related to mental health and those triggers could be anything and they're not going to yeah. give you an advance warning and they're not going to allow you time to prepare for your absence or anything like that. It, it will just come on you. Um, and I yeah. think as an employer, that's hard to do, hard to take sometimes as well. Yeah. And I think if we sometimes, I think it does, I think we, we shouldn't always compare it to physical health because of differences, but like, you know, there are times when the analogy does hold up. And I think sometimes the analogy of those those massive moments are like a broken leg. You know, it's like that will get better. Um, and, you know, you weren't going to have that massive moment forever. That mm. bit will get better. But the kind of background is like a chronic back problem. You know, it's always there. It's always going to be there. You manage it. It, it. it will get, there'll be times when it gets worse, times when it gets better, but it's always going to be there. And that's mm. like how I kind of think about it. It's like, you manage it in the same way that you would manage a chronic back problem uh, physically. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't go away. It doesn't always probably trouble you. And you can still, as much as possible, do everything that you want to do. You just have to kind yeah. of be aware of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wanted to share, and I know Madge is going to be, be able to kind of chip in here and ask some questions with about this for both of us as well. But my my kind of first experience with, with anything to do with really mental health was probably, I mean, it... I want to say it was it was more recently, um, but I'm sure like if I if I start to really think back, um, that you know there have been times when I've been younger talk and thinking about it, and I think there's two sides to it. One is like mental health. The other one is linked a little bit more to like OCD, which is obviously like you know a common mental health um, condition. But like the OCD, which sometimes and I quite often would joke about and be quite light-hearted about, definitely. Uh, definitely has occasions where it's like really put me in a really bad mood which is something that like when you talk about mental health if you can't control your emotions that's poor mental health you know and and I think something related to like for me like uh, a, a, an episode or a wobble was more recently where again I just had that like vicious cycle and I think it is I think it has been uh, a massive um, reaction and impact of like the pandemic and everything going on and having probably too much too much time to think about things um, but yeah that vicious cycle that you spoke about of being concerned being anxious being um, worried about this or um, for me it's about like expectations on myself whether that's like with work or social or um you know, performance or anything related to, I, I've always just got to, I feel like I'm, I, I would be letting myself down with certain things or letting other people down. Um, and I think that's the point as where, where we kind of had a little chat randomly when we were playing golf, which opened the conversation and dialogue about mental health in the first place of being like, you know, where do those like really high expectations come from and why do we put them on ourselves? Um, and that starts with, it could start with sport, could start with work or just like friendships. Um, and I think that's something that, that's something that I, I will continue to manage. 
uh, and Madge is, Madge is one of those people who kind of keeps me in check and chats with me about that as well. But that's that's kind of my experience of uh, of like my kind of mental health story, as it were. Yeah, um, thanks for both of you talking about it. I've just been interested in listening to you. Um, I think with me, myself, uh, in mental health, like I said earlier, I, I, I find it hard to relate to. But then as you guys were talking, I kind of just remembered a lot of the things that were happening. I think from um, from the age of like 17, 18, I was surrounded by like my close circle. There were a few people who were uh, struggling with depression uh, to the stage that they they were on medication. So including my dad, he he was he was uh, diagnosed depression depressed and was on medication for a while. I had my auntie, I had a, uh, one close friend, a really close friend who still deals with it. Like what Charlie said, like the the chronic back pain. She goes up and down, up and down. Mm. Um, where she'll message me one week and then I won't hear from her for a few weeks and then she'll just tell me later on what's happened and just constantly being like that for for good 15 16 years and I think one thing uh, as a strength of mine is I'm quite good at observing people and like picking up things so um, I personally don't think I've ever felt in fell in that position that you guys talk about but um, there have been days though and Joe, Joe knows one of them I had to share about where like um, I'd, I don't know when it first started, but I'd wake up and I just feel down. Like there's no reason for why I'm feeling down, but my just mood's not there. There's no oomph to my day, and I just at first I was just like a little bit confused, and I just thought I'll just sleep it off and see what how I feel like tomorrow. Um, and then that's when I realised that actually maybe that's how people who are depressed get into that panic. Because if I was to panic on that first day, then it would have carried on. But I kind of just knocked it on the head and thought, let me just sleep and I'll wake up in the morning and let's just worry about it in the morning. And those kind of incidents do happen, like I'd say, once a year. Um, and the, the last one happened actually in, in when I was at school with, with everyone in the department. And I just came in and I just sat down. It was during during the pandemic. And then they were, everyone was there. And I'm quite I'm quite honest and forward about how I feel and stuff. And I, I just said, like, I don't, don't feel like it today. I just feel a bit off. And um, and I just sat down and I just like, and and, and then what happened, I think what hap- what's, what's kind of nice is that, that you showing that vulnerability allows other people to talk. So that's what I've noticed as well, is that although I've not been in that situation, I'm quite open to being vulnerable about what how I feel or what's happened. And generally, that's brought other people forward to talk about their problems just because someone else will talk about it. And the last time it happened was actually, like I said, during the pandemic. And I came in and I said those things. And and I just said I just said to everyone that, you know what, I think um, I stayed for about half an hour and I said, you know what, I think I'm going to go home and I'm just going to go to the gym and do a really hard workout where I'm not going to uh, just put some music on do a hard workout, spend some time with family. Then I organized to have lunch with Joe that, that that day. And then in the evening, I organized something else to go and do something a bit social. So I kind of canceled all my plans and had these things in place that I knew were just going to make me feel a little bit better. And it was um, actually spending some time with my kids was, was good enough. So I think that's just come from observing people and knowing and recognizing the signs and then making sure that when that happens to me, I've got things in place. Um, and I think also, I think a big thing for me is like, I've always been good at separating things into control and uncontrollable things. And that's where my faith comes into it. So like 
things that I don't understand or things that I can't get answers to, I'm quite happy to put that under faith and belief in God and trust in God in that one. And I think that really helps as well when it comes to dealing dealing with mental health. Mm. I, th I think, uh, Madge, what you're saying about the uh, the having the things that you can do that you know will make you feel better, I think that's massive. I think that's huge. And I think um, people who struggle with mental health throughout life, that's the big or one of the biggest parts of the coping plan is to say, you know, this is, I know what my triggers are, I also know what my, you know, calming aspects or whatever you might call them uh, are. And I know if I do these things, it will make me feel a bit better and get me back on track again. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's interesting that you raise those. That's exactly the, the same strategies that I think people who are going through mental health problems uh, would, would find uh, of value, definitely. So um, we've spoken a lot today about um, like triggers. And I think for me, uh, sometimes one of my triggers, um, which I think I, I've always kind of, um, always kind of had, but maybe emphasizes uh, it, it, yeah, it's emphasized sometimes and it has been during the pandemic and things like that when I've thought more about it, but is like the expectations that I have on myself and then that can kind of transfer into like expectations um, that I put on myself from like other people and what I should be like for other people, what I should be doing for other people and things like that. And that's something, you know, like we've mentioned a lot today is like something that I want to kind of continue to manage. And um, there was little things like last year that I, I let go of and allowed other people to to do and be involved with because I just wanted to give myself some more time what what for you charlie is like is one of your kind of triggers if you don't mind sharing what's one of those yeah. things that really puts you in that could put you in that position yeah for me the the, the it, it kind of links with the ocd element and obviously ocd is a big spectrum like you know, yeah. depressive spectrum and i wouldn't say i'm like full on ocd but connected to it is that i really crave a pattern to my day and I feel very comfortable when I have a pattern to my day. And if I have like time stretching out in front of me with nothing in it and no structure to it, I really struggle. Like that, that I know. So, you know, if I link back to that very first story, it was the middle of the Easter holidays. Now, mm -hmm. retrospectively, I know, oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't plan anything in. I just had all this free time and then my mind was just wandering and I got into a, into a right old tizzy. And I now know, okay, so this is going to be challenging how can i create um the structure that i need so when pandemic happened and then, and then we found that we couldn't travel and we were going to be six weeks in the house no work because like work i always feel better when I work for me yeah. work is brilliant because it gives me a structure it gives me a focus i'm doing something and i feel positive and i love my work and i'm enjoying it um when i'm off work is when i struggle um mm -hmm. so when we had this holiday and no travel this summer I was like, oh my God, this is going to be horrible. Um, and then I, I sat down with Justine, my, my partner, um, and I was like, right, okay, this is what would be really good for me, would be if we can create. So she she worked from home, but with living in a different apartment, I said, that would be great is that if you were working and I was working, but then we met for lunch every day, 
Um, yep. And then, and then, yeah, and then we would do these like uh, um, car picnics. So we just go because obviously you weren't allowed to, to to eat out at that time. So it's like, right, we'll go somewhere, we'll sit in the car, we'll, we'll take an iPad, we'll watch a little TV program, have our lunch together, and then I'll clear off in the afternoon. Then I'll go to the gym um, or go for a run. And so having like that structure to my day made the day. And it, and it's that thing I get up in about worrying about the worry. So I was worrying about it. As soon as I've done three or four days of that, once I knew, okay, I've done a few days of that and they were okay, there's no reason why the next few days I'm going to be okay as well. So then I started to feel much more comfortable about my whole holidays. And then I was like, by week two, I was like, yeah, I can do this. This is no problem. I can do this infinitely. Once mm. I'd established. But the, 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 the initial fear was, was huge. But then it was about creating a structure that would allow me to, to not even just cope with it, but actually start to enjoy it. So I got into a phase when I was like, right, in the morning, I'm just going to, like, the mornings I can cope with doing not very much, lunch, gym or run and then yeah and then evenings justine would come over so then it'd be like okay then we've got something back for the evening and that was like perfect for me um, yeah. so for me it's all about that daily structure because without it i know that's where my that's my big trigger so in terms of um my kind of wonder like they, they call it uh so what what i struggle with is what they call generalized anxiety disorder so it's just a kind of a wandering, free-floating sense of anxiety. Um, and so for me, having a structure is what makes it work and not having a structure is what makes yeah. it problematic. Madge, would you, would you kind of um, resonate with some of that? Because I feel like sometimes when you've, you're an organized person, you like having things to do, you like going to the gym and doing your tennis lessons and coming back and having a walk. And when you don't have stuff to do, you kind of, or if you're restricted, especially during the pandemic, you, you got yourself frustrated sometimes. Would you resonate with that? Yeah, um, what, what Charlie said there was basically what, what pandemic was for me because <laughs> I know I know that that's what, that it was the same for everyone. Um, but uh, I hate it when I'm bored. Like, I can't even sit, I can't sit down for like longer than like two, three hours. I just get bored really quick. And when we went into that strict lockdown, when we weren't allowed to go out, it worried me like i mean i don't know if it was like it was overpowering but straight away i had to start thinking about things that i wanted to do so joe knows like i took mm. an iphone photography course that was going to keep me occupied um, when we were not working um and then i realized that um well actually maybe after the first day when i struggled on the first day of boredom i then realized that i needed to do an exercise session in the morning and an exercise session in the evening and actually the pandemic was the first time in my life that I realized physical activity is more, uh, I need it more for mental than I do physical. Cause ever since I've been young, I've been playing sport all my life and I've always kind of trained until my body hurts. So the next day you, you like walking like a penguin sort of thing. And then that's, that's the only way you can justify doing the training session. But actually during the pandemic, when those things were, were taken away from you and you weren't allowed to go outside, I actually realized that physical activity, I need it more for my mental than I did for physical. So that was like the first time I noticed that. So now that's kind of my relationship with exercise has completely changed now because of that. Um, and, and on those days, I always make sure that I'm outside in the morning. Like one of the first things I do in the first hour of my day is get outside somehow. Like it doesn't have to be exercise, but just outside and spend some time in fresh air. And then obviously 
I prefer to exercise in the evening and is more better at it. Um, but yeah, I, th I think that uh, what I realized straight away was that if if I was going to struggle with mental health, it would have been during the pandemic. So that's why I straight away I put an action plan in place. Um, and you're right, Joe, like even on the weekends, like I always make sure that I've got things to do. Um, and, and Joe knows I get I get quite frustrated if people try to restrict mm. me in that in that sense. So it's just it's just trying to and but the, but one of the things I'm I'm kind of comfortable with is I'm kind of comfortable being by myself as well, and that's something that I've worked on over the years. So mm. even even if I can't do things with people, I'm quite happy to do things by myself and keep myself occupied that way. So the one the point that I want to make to uh, finish this episode off today is um something that relates to what we were actually doing in school this week which was called empathy week and uh we were watching various videos of of different people's accounts in the uk and and their different stories of you know their upbringing uh bullying um race and culture and and kind of um discovering empathy but a lot of them were talking about this idea of like mental health and um, sadness, depression, and, and kind of not really being themselves. And one thing that I thought was really, really important is something that I think we always need, always need to work on is this idea of like, uh, you've got to be happy with yourself before making any change. You know, you've got to be um, comfortable with yourself before making changes. And that's something, you know, not doing things for other people, doing them for your doing things for yourself and being happy with that and being really comfortable. And uh, and I would probably say, Charlie, that one of the first times, you know, we hung out or we spent any time together, I'd probably put you as that type of person in terms of somebody who's very comfortable with, with himself and just being him and being you. And I think that's credit to you and, and whether that's something that you, you work on as well. But I always admire people who are like, uber confident and just are totally unique or totally themselves and and are quite un, unapologetic about it um and i think sometimes perception wise some people think like i can be uber confident as well but i think that's something that i have to really work on um and probably put on a bit more of a front um but i mean what what would you what would you say to that charlie would you agree with that in terms of being happy with yourself first before you change anything else I'd absolutely agree with the I think the idea of being happy with who you are first. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's very difficult to 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 engage in any significant or meaningful change if you're not on a kind of steady footing with how you feel about yourself. Um, mm. In terms of kind of my, I, I probably uh, I'm sure it's true of everyone. I've probably come across more like. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I know who I am and I'm confident who I am. I think I know who I am. Um, I think like all of us, there are times when we think, uh, I wish I could be more like X or I could be mm. more this way or more that way. Um, you know, I think all of us struggle at times with, with who we are in relation to our friends, in relation to our peers, in relation to our colleagues. Um, and we kind of perceive ourselves often I think differently and more negatively than than we than is the reality you know I think mm. we often have uh, I've been listening to this is a really good podcast I mean probably not as good as yours 
but it's a really good podcast uh, called Hidden Brain, um, which I would recommend uh, if anyone's interested in kind of mental health aspects, but or in psychology in general, it's like a psychology show. And one of the, the guests he had on was talking about uh, this idea that we we always uh, exaggerate the importance of, or we always exaggerate how we think other people perceive us. You know, mm. we think other people spend a lot more time thinking about who we are full stop than they do. Um, you know, so we, we, we make a comment that's slightly off color or slightly mistoned or a joke that falls flat. And we're like, oh my God, that's terrible. I think I'm all right, dude. Um, that other person has probably not even picked up on it. And if they have, yeah. I'm forgiving of us, then we would be of ourselves. And I think to come back to this point that you made about empathy, um, you know, what, what she was saying is that if we could learn to see ourselves as other people actually do, not how we perceive them to do, we would feel much more confident about ourselves because people are more empathetic of one another than we often give credit for. Mm. And so we, what we do, I think, and, uh, you know, this isn't her words, this is kind of my view of it, would be that we see ourselves, um, we, we're very willing to give other people the benefit of the doubt and to accept them for who they are and to embrace them with all of their weirdness and foibles. But then we think other people are going to judge us and say, okay, well, if we were to apply you know, the same level of non-judgmentalness that we are applying to other people towards what they would think of us, we'd actually probably be in a better state. Uh, we'd actually yeah. see us more positively. Um, you know, uh, I think that that for me is is important aspect of empathy is try to to be kind to ourselves and in understanding that other people probably are giving us much more slack than we think they're giving us. Yeah, great words, Charlie. That like that. There was um. Masri, you going to say something? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know this, Joe, like. Well, there was a time when, when I was in Egypt and I was kind of like a little bit, I wouldn't say fed up with life, but I was kind of at that point where I kind of needed to do something about my life. I think a lot of people would call it like a midlife crisis. Or, I mean, obviously that was quite early on. And I don't think it's a midlife crisis, but I can imagine people like just worrying and, and panicking. And that's, um, that's what is termed midlife crisis. But I'd say that in, in Egypt, I was I had a lot of time by myself. Like one of the things I, I realized was a lot of things that I enjoyed as a person, as a human being weren't there. So it was taken away from me, not just because like there were no, no social sports or, or very limited social sports. And people were kind of at my, at my age, same level, same sort of sense of humor and little things like that. And I think I spent a lot of time um, in, inside my head having these internal conversations about what I wanted. So when I left Egypt, knowing that I was coming to Malaysia, I was like really focused and really determined because I was like, I know what I want. I know what I need to do and, and I get it done. And, and and I know that I keep repeating this to you, Joe, because I kind of think that when you have these conversations with me, I, have, I always it always reminds me of those conversations that I had with myself then. And I just think, and I always keep saying to you, it's just a process that you need to go through and kind of work it out yourself. But before you ask Charlie that question, I actually wrote down three things that I I think for myself that have really helped me. And I think um, the best way I would describe why, why I feel so strong about how I feel like, I, I, oh, it's not the right word, but I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm well prepared for mental health because I've worked on it. I've never had it, if that makes sense, because of what I've observed. 
And I feel like how you build your body to be strong and fit, I feel like you need to do that as well for your mental health. So this is going to be a question for you, Charlie, later. But I think there's three things that I've, I've wrote down that really helped me. And one is accepting yourself for who you are. And you know, in previous episodes, I've talked about my identity as a British Pakistani and how I felt in society in the UK growing up with the racism and the cultural differences and where I am now. And um, mm -hmm. and even talking about friendships and accepting what friendships were like then and now and all those sort of things. I think I had those conversations and I worked out and just accepting myself for who I am. And that gives you that little bit of confidence that once you accept yourself, you feel you feel quite, um, you feel a bit bulletproof. I think that's the best way to explain it. I think second, happiness. And we talked about happiness in a previous episode as well. And I think my version of happiness is to do things day to day and where other people's version of happiness is to kind of delay and save for something. And I think because, and as we've said, um, when you do have those episodes or making sure you put things in place that do make you happy, help you prevent having, having those episodes. I think because I live like day-to-day -day happiness, I think that's what helps me get through a lot of the things. And the third thing, which is a, sometimes a controversial statement, but I think looking after yourself first, I feel is one of the most important things because that is a very selfish statement. And even if I've got a family and I've got a wife and I've got kids, I feel like I can't be good for them if I don't look after myself. And now I'm very comfortable in doing things and saying things in front of anyone where before I wouldn't, I'd be, I'd be like, people would judge me. Like Charlie said, people might judge you. People might have a perception of you. And mm. i give you an example is sometimes I feel like um, I'm surrounded by people all the time. So I'm a teacher teaching kids and then I'm in meetings, wherever. And I just need an hour or two hours to myself outside in a restaurant or a coffee shop or wherever. And that just sets me up for the rest of the day. And I do that. I, I put that into play so that I always make sure I look after myself and, like I said, um, making sure I start my day right um, and that sort of thing is like looking after myself first, making sure that I'm good and then I know that I can be better for other people. So I have a question for you, Charlie. Like, because we work with students and mental health is such a such a big thing now, we're, we're definitely more aware of it. What would you say, like, after your experience of some of the things that you wish you were taught or discussed? Uh, people talked about when you were younger, maybe taught in schools or skills that you might have needed. After your experience, what would you what would you kind of recommend or advise for the younger younger people? Yeah, I, I think um, I think things have changed massively, um, hugely, hugely. And I, I in in like I said when I earlier on, like when I was growing up, it was you were mentally healthy or you were mentally ill, and that. There was no kind of notion of the, the kind of the, the huge gray areas in between of from from kind of the having a bad day right the way up through kind of episodic issues up until you know full-on mental illness um, and i think uh for me what's got miles better is that we talk to the student about mental well-being and about what we can do now you you, you talked about it really well Matt, about um, training yourself in mental health, you know. So again, if we go back to kind of sporting analogies, um, it's kind of like the first we often think about mental health. Uh, the first we think about it is after we've had the broken leg. It's like okay, actually, we could have trained in first. You know, we didn't. We didn't. We went. We went into some really difficult. You know, we we, went, we were matched up against Claude Macaulay in midfield, um, having never run a run a fifty meters. 
And it's like we go to these really stressful scenarios and we haven't trained for it at all. And no wonder we, we you know, they hit us like, like a bomb. And actually, if we do work with young people to train them in, this is what you do to mentally help, you know, help stay, maintain mental health. You know, so I know that as a kid, we never spoke about the link between physical and mental health, not a single time. Um, and I know that our kids at school, and I would always say to them, like you were saying earlier, that your mental health and your physical health are so connected. Like I'm really straightforward with my, my kids. I'm like, I do something every day, like sport-wise. I'll run or go to the gym or play football every single day. Um, and I say to them, not to do with my physical health. Like my physical health is fine. If I didn't do anything for four days, my physical health would still be fine. So yeah, to me, I, just to, to kind of recap, the, 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 I waffled a lot of words, uh, which is what I do. But the two big things I would have said were, one, that we talk openly and honestly with kids about the gray area that exists between health and illness. Yeah. Um, and secondly, that we teach them to have like a, a toolkit uh, and training in how to be mentally healthy uh, and don't wait for something to go wrong before we start to solve it. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I, I think as well, your comments about like, physical health being mm. just like a part of mental health um or basically just activity being a part of is is very very important because i think that's a big thing that madge talks about including myself is it is so important just to be physical um but nothing to do with physical health but it, it's all about that mental health and just having that that release i mean I would going back to our question about why do men struggle to speak about mental health? Obviously, we've got three guys here that aren't struggling at all. But I suppose the point we want to try and bring up today and the point we want to emphasize, and we've all said this, is is just to be kind of open and talk about it. And it's something by no means am I uh, a pioneer in because I think, you know, Charlie, you're one of the first people aside from Madge who I've kind of brought it up with. And it was just random how it kind of happened. And, and obviously it sparked a lot more conversation and including this conversation. And I think the more, the more people feel comfortable about having that conversation um, and supporting people when, you ha when they are opening up and having that conversation is really important. Because the last thing you want is, you know, if somebody does open up that you kind of shoot it down or just don't, you know, don't listen to it. Um, because you know, that, that puts you on that spiral and vicious cycle even quicker. It spins you around even more, like, you know. So, uh, so yeah, thanks so much for talking about it today, Charlie, and, and being so open and, and things like that. We are going to finish with some quick-fire questions. And I don't know whether you've seen these yet, Charlie, but I want a, a, super, quick, a super quick answer, all right? So what's your favorite place of all places you've ever traveled to and why? Um, Barcelona. I love the city. I love the beach. Um, it's got the hills. It's beautiful. Food's love great. Um, What's the best piece on, of advice Maggie. you've been given? Best piece of advice? Um, it'll pass. It'll pass. Nice. Um, and tell us one thing that's still on your bucket list. Um, to go to a test match in Antigua, um, England, West Indies, at Viv Richards' home. That would be awesome. I've always wanted to do the, the boxing day in Australia. I've done that. Uh, so yeah. we, we did the boxing day in Australia 20, 
2013, it was terrible. We got absolutely bad. We were 4-0 down in the series by the time we got there. But um, it was like that was bucket list. And then after that, we were like, right, we need to do Boxing Day in South Africa and we need to do Antigua um, test. So, yeah, those are definitely love that love that charlie thanks again for today um thanks for um sharing with us and your time yeah no it's been grand yeah, thanks, and, thanks uh, so much for i appreciate care. you being so vulnerable as well and everything that you talked about i'm sure it's going to help other people as well so nice one cool thanks a lot thanks for thanks for your time guys All no right. worries cheers charlie See you later. Bye-bye. Hi guys, thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, go ahead and subscribe. Share it with someone if you think they might enjoy it or if they might learn something new. If you have any comments or would like to join us on an episode, email us at youchattoomuch at gmail.com.